back to the WYL Take Ownership podcast, where we're all about taking ownership of your mental, your community, and your economics. And uh, joined here today with Fatima Diko, the CEO and founder of Jetpack. Um, Jetpack is a, is a company that really keys in on the college market. I'm going to actually have you dive in more, so I'm not going <laughs> to save it a little bit. But Fatima and I are good friends. You know, as mentioned, we we are black founders in in this tech world. And so what I what I do want to do is first give Fatima the opportunity to say hello. Um, and then I want to I, I want to address you know some of the things we're seeing outside right now before we dive in because I don't want to act like it's not happening. Uh, these are real uh, you know things that we're all working through. And so I appreciate you all for helping us sell this out. And uh, Fatima, I'll pass it to you to say what's up. Hey everyone, you know Ofo, I'm super excited to do this chat with you. Um, you know you're one of my favorite founders, so I think this will be a really good dialogue. Um, you know, as Ofo already mentioned, um, I initially studied chemical engineering and then worked at Procter and Gamble for about five years, and it was a really cool team where we were creating products three to ten years away from market. Um, quit my job, did the whole entrepreneurship thing, um, and now I'm working on Jetpack, which is we like to look at it as a hyper-local Craigslist. So allowing people to ask for last minute things that you need, whether it's a wine opener, painkillers, whatever, but being able to tap into people who are in your immediate vicinity um, and having them be able to barter, give it to you, sell it to you right away. Um, our average delivery time is less than 10 minutes, really using the power of people. Um, and one thing that might be interesting, and I don't know if we'll dive into this, but you know, the first 250K we raised was through a crowdfunding campaign um, that we then used to raise 1.5 million later on. And so I don't know if we'll dive into that here, but you know, always, if you're interested in crowdfunding and how we raised capital, happy to chat about that as well. Well, low key, I don't even think you know this, but we use Jetpack's like model to then model our crowdfunding campaign. Oh, really? <laughs> successfully too. So all love, all love being passed around today. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of really good stuff. Um, focus for today, and mind you, this is a four-part series. So also shout out to General Assembly. Um, shout out to Amanda for making this happen. As she mentioned, we've been working on this for since February to get something together. Initially, we were going to do something in person, and then COVID hit. And so that was the, the hurdle number one. Um, and then, you know, with everything that's happened in the last week, and I also want to give her a shout out too, because I know she's experienced, you know, serious loss in her family and the fact that she's still rocking with us and, 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 and still here and present, you know, that just shows the level of love she has for what we're doing and the passion. So shout out to General Assembly for always inspiring people, for creating this amazing tribe and for really being the catalyst behind us selling out tonight and filling out the space. So um, four part series focus on building a business from your couch. Um, where many of us are sitting right now or at your office chair if you're me and Fatima. Um, and the idea today is to focus on online resources and hacks to start your business. Um, so without further ado, I will give you a little bit of background about myself. Um, and again, too, just to make sure you guys can see my screen, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. Um, so my background is, is a bit uh, di diverse. Uh, I guess that's the perfect word, word to use. Um, Parents are from Nigeria and Barbados. Uh, dad grew up, um, started his life during the Biafran War. Um, family was on the run for a bit uh, while he was young. Um, when he was 18, he was the first person in his family to move to the U.S., um, where 
Uh, he then went to school. Um, and, you know, during that period of time in the 80s, uh, the Nigerian economy uh, went through a recession and that affected then his family's ability to put him through school. And, and actually, what's funny, I'm sitting in Buffalo, New York right now, which is a town where my parents met in, in college at Niagara University years ago. Um, and if it wasn't for the citizens or some of the amazing citizens of Buffalo, then, you know, uh, he wouldn't have finished and I actually wouldn't be sitting here because my parents wouldn't have really met. So all this stuff is tied together. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, really, I, I, I live primarily in Brooklyn, New York, um, but through an investment with 43 North, we've been, you know, blessed enough to have a space out here as well. And um, background is quickly to give it, I'm CEO and founder of whosyourlandlord.com, that's W-Y-L.co, uh, where we empower and inform the rental community through landlord reviews, housing literacy content, and through software for real estate developers to better understand and engage their residents. Um, I, I, back in college, I studied entrepreneurship. I had my first taste of tech and entrepreneurship during my senior year in, in high school um, and, and wanted to be an entrepreneur, wanted to study management and information systems. Um, and, and it's cool enough, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing it now. And, you know, my first company was called Untapped, which was a brand development firm focusing on local artists and businesses on getting their message in front of the right people. Um, simultaneously with that, I got involved in acting and modeling. Um, which is very random, but I'm, I'm a big believer in signs. I'm a big believer in God. And uh, I was asked several times in, in a short period of time to, to think about the entertainment industry um, from the acting and modeling perspective and got involved, got a few agencies in that, in that regard and been able to do products with New York Fashion Week several times, uh, been on the Today Show a bunch of times, ESPN, Nike, on and on and on. What I've loved about that is that it's transferred over to business um, because my first ever kind of public speaking class, if you will, was actually my improv class in acting. Um, and you, as an entrepreneur, you get very good at improv. So um, it was good to learn that early to prepare for investors. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's been cool to be able to do both. Um, while 99% of my time goes to Who's Your Landlord, still being able to be plugged into the entertainment space and, and, and you know, attend auditions and, and participate where I can. So it's a little bit about me. I will throw it to Fatima to give some more about her. Um, very amazing founder. She's going to be humble in her explanation of who she is and her outlining of who she is. But just to let you guys know, she's very, very amazing at what she's done and, and, and building a really cool business. So Fatima, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the, to the crew today. Awesome. Um, I just have to say your modeling acting career, like that whole space, I'm 100% for it as well. Hey. <laughs> you're like, hey, I'm going to get into modeling. And then you're on the cover of like this magazine. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I was originally born in Mali in West Africa. Uh, I came to New York City when I was six years old. Um, as I said, went to Columbia, then went to Procter & Gamble, worked on some really, really cool stuff there. Everything from designing a dry shampoo for areas in Africa with limited water, clean water supply, um, being able to work on 3D printed lipstick and like all sorts of really futuristic stuff. Um, then I went to Stanford Business School, uh, kind of as a way to buy two additional years <laughs> to keep working on my business. Um, you know, yeah, keeping it all the way real. <laughs> um, you know, growing up in a West African household, you know, it was kind of a shocking thing for my parents to be okay with me leaving this job at P&G to start my company. Um, so continued working on the company while I was in business school, fundraised, you know, moved out to LA after um, going to uh, graduating from Stanford Business School. Um, and now, you know, like all of you, 
continuing to grow the business um, in you know this quarantine, this new world that we're in, and trying to navigate some of the really, really difficult, challenging, and heartbreaking things that are going on as well. And so, you know, hoping to add whatever guidance, support, or advice that my experiences have taught me. Again, you know, as entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, none of us know the answer. We can only speak from our experiences. Um, and then you can extrapolate what you want, but looking forward to the dialogue. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, what I will acknowledge that I think is important because it's not, it's not often, but, you know, the two founders who raised over a million in capital um, have gotten VC dollars, you know, in, in our companies and you know, quarterly meetings and monthly meetings were no stranger to um, beyond just your internal team. So showing love there um, as we should. So this conversation is going to really, really harp on things that are, you know, ideal or key to the remote uh, space of work. Um, so I, what, I, what I'm going to do, I think, with this slide here is just speak to like what I think about the idea of remote work, um, what we're seeing in the market. And then uh, Fatima, what I'd love for you to do is, is speak the same from your experiences and also to just, uh, just thoughts on it. So uh, first, you know, at Who's Your Landlord, we're a team of 14 people now. Um, some are part time, some are full time. Um, and but no matter what, there, there needs to be some level of overlap in terms of congruence and conversation. And, and project orientation, right? Um, what, I, what I'll do throughout this conversation, and I implore you to as well, Fatima, is to think of where you are right now in your business um, and also think of where you were in the beginning. So even maybe answering where you were and how you did, did what you did and, and where you are now and how you do what you do. Because you know people on the call are from all kinds of backgrounds, are in all different levels and spaces of their entrepreneurial journey. So I wanna make sure we're, we're touching on the important things. Um, and of course, if we miss something, drop it in the chat and hopefully we'll be able to cover it here. Um, but first to the idea of remote work, um, as, as far as I'm concerned, I think most of us are, are operating in that way right now, right? Um, sitting in front of a computer, um, and I, that's, of course, if we're blessed or fortunate enough to have that kind of job where, you know, it's not it's not so forced on, on the workforce, but it's a uh, it's pretty white collar. You're sitting in front of a computer. Um, what I'll say about that is I've seen a lot of um, or I've talked to a lot of friends too, where I've seen they work at corporations that weren't necessarily prepared for that switch in the last few months. And so they spend a lot of their time, almost most of the times in meetings and or on Zoom, but just to ensure they were actually doing work. Um, which is which is kind of counterproductive, right? Um, a lot of remote culture is the idea of con congregating, coming together to, to discuss strategy, and then releasing to go do it, right? And then having multiple touch points in between to make sure it's happening correctly. Um, so today you're going to hear different tools we use. Um, you know, I call it my control panel. I have two screens. I have my my laptop where I'm looking at you all. Then on my left screen, usually it's, it's a screen. It's a you know deck today, but usually this is where I have Slack. Google Calendar, um, you know, uh, Monday.com, the whole nine right here. Um, and shout out to my boy, John Jackson. What he always says is if it's not on the Google Calendar, then it doesn't exist. I think that is true. So send, send the invite. That's all. Send the invite. Um, but, but team, I thought to you, what, what's your thoughts on remote work and remote culture? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to see how certain people who are already doing, you know, or engaging in some elements of remote work, they're pretty much going as usual now, but people who haven't had to are having to adjust in a way that's really insane. Um, I guess it, there's a few things, right? So there's this psychological piece of remote work, right? Where 
you know, people, I think like the biggest fear for managers is that people aren't working enough um, in, you know, remote environments. They're picturing you like doing your laundry, watching Netflix. But I don't know about you, Ofo. I, I've actually been working more at home. It's harder to make that delineation between working and chilling. And so it's like a very psychological experience for me, even down to like what I'm wearing. Like when I'm wearing this, I'm working, um, moving my, you know, I take my desk and I actually move it around every few weeks just to like change the scenery a little bit. Um, you know, taking breaks. Like I think th these are some of the things that you don't necessarily think about doing because you're just at your desk. Um, even things like the time that it takes for you to respond back to people. Um, even though this might not be fair, I think four hours to respond to someone's email now may actually be interpreted as a long time, you know, because yeah. you like at your desk all day working. Um, and so just keeping that in mind and even as an introvert, as somebody who like is so drained by small talk, even I'm missing that a bit now, a bit more now. And so I think you have to incorporate small talk in the things that you're doing still. Like if you were engaging with people before meeting and joking and talking a bit, you still have to find ways to do that now. I know it can be tempting to hop into the Zoom, get the work done, go into Slack, but um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later. But I think, again, it's very psychological, um, you know, managing your habits and thinking about what your routines are. Um, so, how, yeah, how has that been for you, like just managing your psyche? I, I love that you flipped it on me, like, I, you know, host the team uh, come through. <laughs> Um, no, but for real, I'm glad, but no, you hit on really great points. I mean, you know, one of the things I just thought about too is when, when you're working in a remote environment, um, there's this absence of person that I think happens naturally, where it's just like function, 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 get the job done. Um, but what's so wild is that our world has not allowed for that at all. So not only have we been dealing with COVID, but like, I, you know, I've had investor meetings all week. We're in the middle of a raise right now. And every meeting has started with us either talking about or me bringing up like what's happening outside my window. Yeah. Like I was at a protest on Sunday, right? I mean, people are protesting every single day. So to, to, in that regard, I had to apologize to my team on Monday during our Monday call because I started it off like any other call, like, hey guys, how you doing? Quick, you know, quick quips around. And then I was like, let's get to it. And one of our team members was like really emotional about what had happened, yeah. um, and I think justifiably so. And I had to, you know, after letting letting her speak on on that piece, just stopping and being like, "Look, I apologize to you all. Let's start there. Like, if we get to business, awesome. But if we spend this next hour not talking about business, that's also real too. Um, and you know, and I know earlier in COVID, we took you know time where I called every every team member individually, spent like a half an hour to an hour on the phone with them, just to check in on them personally. Um, and I encourage them any any uh, you know vacation days they had submitted already before um, COVID hit to still take them even if I'm you're not going nowhere <laughs> it was like still right. take that time um, because you know it allows for you to have some mental relaxation and to pause you know everything that's going on so um, I, I will say you know we talk we talk about the idea of over communication um, and that's true in like normal workspaces normal work environments but in today's world when I'm wearing a headset and talking to you through a screen it's even more important and appropriate to ask genuinely, how are you doing? How are things coming along? Um, and to encourage people to be real with you back. Cause you know, I always say, you know, give love, but I also say you have to be able to get love. And, and, and part of that is being able to have that 
that real conversation and not having it be transactional. So that's what I would, that's the, I the love answer. That. Your point. Yeah. I love that. And that's why you're a leader, right? Because they say when you talk to a boss or a manager, they feel important. But when you talk to a leader, you feel important. And I think now more than ever, there are certain bosses and managers that are checking in on people and are you doing work? And there are other people who are really going out of their way to check in on the psychology of people. Like, I love that you brought up the Zoom example because a lot of people's personalities are not set up to shine on Zoom. And so you have to keep that in mind, you know, like there might not, there might be someone who like is not comfortable with the whole video thing and is just getting acclimated and that kind of thing. So we just have to think about what are we doing as people to like make this remote culture comfortable for every single person on your team, whether you're working with contractors, employees, everyone, you have to bring the best out of people right now, Um, but yeah. That's real. That's real. So we will move forward. Um, and so we're, the, the first topic here is learning and news. So I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be addicted to the idea and to the process of learning. Um, and I, and I, I always, even when onboarding people onto our team, I always say, if you're not addicted to the idea of learning, this is not the right company for you. Um, because because you you you're none of us know everything and Fatima you hit on it earlier like an entrepreneur is not the person that's the smartest in the room it's the person who's going to work the hardest to figure the problem out and figure out the solution to that problem and so um in terms of learning and news I'll go through a couple tools I use to keep on top of things in my industry but also to, to learn things about the tech industry and real estate industry that's where I, I I spend my time um and also how do I, how do I keep abreast of news as well so from a learning uh perspective YouTube has been my best friend and Google have been my best friends, those two. Um, and I know now it's all together, it's all the same thing really, but YouTube, there, there's nothing you really can't figure out by putting it in YouTube. Um, someone's made some kind of tutorial or video. Um, and I mean granular, like I think back to, and we'll touch on this probably a little bit later, but I think back to the days of like MySpace, when you weren't a coder, and maybe for some of the Gen Z out there, they're like, what, what are you talking about? What's MySpace? I, I'm mad that we're old enough to say that now. I know. <laughs> like, there's things that you don't know about that we know about. Right. Like, with, with MySpace, you had like, there was all the HTML. So you would put in your little background, and I think it was the coolest thing. Everybody had the Matrix one, you know, the green and black. And um, if you didn't know how to do that, you had to like ask a friend or you hope Google could throw you the answers. Um, but nowadays, anything even like that, you can just throw in YouTube and someone's made a video about how exactly to do it. Um, so I would still say start with our, our two, you know, Google and YouTube. Um, but also, too, in terms of news, Google Alerts. Um, I'm not sure if you all have heard of it, but Google Alerts is very, very impactful, too, because it's basically Google's crawling the web for certain keywords. And if you tell them what keywords or what phrases or what companies to watch, it'll just show you news every morning when there's news about that company, that phrase or that thing to watch. Um, and so I, I put in really early, who's your landlord? And so certainly not every every article I receive is about us, the company, but anytime who's your and landlord are using the same article, I get that update. Um, and, and a lot of times it's information, if not all the time, that's very, very pertinent to our business. Um, so for social media, we utilize it. Um, personally, I utilize it. And you know, I think half the battle, and I'm not, not promoting cram culture, but half the battle is taking recent events, 
hearing them, listening to them, digesting them, and then echoing them in calls, you know, with your team, with your investors, because if they're aware that you're aware of current events, that means you're ever forever progressing. And when you don't acknowledge things that are happening and you get caught, caught flat-footed, I like to say, um, it, it, that can also create for, for problems or gaps. But Fatima, what are your thoughts? So what, what tools do you use for learning and for news? Yeah, I love Google Alerts. Um, you know, especially now more than ever, I think it's, for me, been difficult to find that balance between going online and figuring out what's going on, but then keeping my psyche in a place where I can remain focused as well. Because um, the second, you know, it, it can be very, um, you know, emotionally taxing to get in and then kind of shift gears when you know everything that's going on. So Feedly is a, is a tool I really like where you can input the things that you're interested in down to specific areas of tech, different elements of news and every day, you'll get, you know, like a breakdown of different articles and like the top line bullet points of what's going on based on the things that you put in. Um, so I really like Feedly for news, just keeping, um, you, you know, where- out for folks? Yeah, F, I'll, I'll actually type it in right here. So everyone, F-E-E-D-L-Y. Um, just added it to, actually just sent it there. But um, yeah, F-E-E-D-L-Y. Um, in terms of learning, I agree. YouTube has actually taught me a lot of different things. You know, um, YouTube, I would say Blinkist is a tool, and I'll type all these out as soon as I'm done um, in the chat so that people can see them. But Blinkist, what Blinkist does is essentially takes, you know, different books and they condense it down into these like 15 minute, like digestible nuggets. And the, like their method of consolidating this is so accurate. Like I compared it with a book that I actually read and then the Blinkist, and it's truly like the most important parts of the book. Um, now, you know, it's I still like, like, like spark notes on steroids. Then Yeah, it's like spark notes on steroids. <laughs> like you can add notes, you can highlight. It's really amazing. And the ad they even use like to get people on Instagram, it's like, business leaders say they read 300 books a, a year, but really what they're doing is like a little bit of this as well. And so, you know, I'm still a proponent of obviously like reading and the experience of that. I think for certain books, like, you know, zero to one, like the hard thing about hard thing, like some of these quintessential business books, get on Blinkist right now and start dissecting or digesting all of these things. Um, I think that would be great. Um, and then finally, Reddit is actually really cool too, in terms of like, if you have specific needs, like I know a lot of you join this because you know, you're looking at starting a business. Um, so everything from, you know, like, how should I structure my business? Like, how should I set up my bank account? What are the tools that I need in place for accounting? I think Reddit is a good place just to get different people's perspectives perspectives. Um, if you're debating between different tools, um, you could say like, you know, like X versus X. And then you go on Reddit and there's a chain of people talking about those two tools and you'll just learn a lot from that as well. I have a question because I, I saw that question come through the chat as well. And it's like, you know, mm -hmm. what if you don't have a business, but you want to start one? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give some color to that question a little bit um, too. For you, Fatima, like when did you start even thinking about 
you know, lawyers and accountants. So I feel like that's that's learning and news, right? Like being able to understand the information. So at what point in your journey did you say, okay, we need to have a lawyer and or somebody I can rely upon um, to look at documents and stuff for me and I need to like tap an accountant personal and then also business wise? Yeah. <laughs> well, from the bank account standpoint, I'm actually weird because I'm big into visualization. So I opened a bank account before we had a dollar. I'm like, I know we're going to need this one day. <laughs> one day we will need this bank account. Um, and so, you know, that the visualization piece for me is big. But to answer that more clearly, I think I'll actually answer this also in a way of what I wish that I did differently as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I think I didn't do it in the most ideal way. But I think that that like that market validation piece at the beginning, before you even get into like the nitty gritty of like this is a business, I think people misunderstand what market validation is or like how do I know that I have something that should be a business, right? Like right. 500 people signing up on your website, I don't think is market validation. Okay, like your friends telling you this is a great idea, that's not always market validation. And I know it, it's like very hard to hear, but again, this is my second time doing this. The first time, like it did not go well. And like a lot of times it's very exciting because your friends are like, you should do this, like you should build that. And you're very energized by that. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But now more than ever, you have to test whether or not you have a business that can make money and scale. Um, so I think that before getting into, I would say once you get that market validation, then you can go into, okay, well, what does like the MVP look like? What does the most simple version of this company look like? And then from there, it's around that phase that I would start thinking about, okay, well, what's the name? What's the donate domain name? Um, and I wouldn't spend years thinking, I know someone who's literally been trying to think about the name of their company for like 12 months. Like, no, I just, my philosophy on names is like, you can only have a bad name, okay? So avoid having a bad name. Pick a name and like go, you know? And it's like a little baby. You'll learn to love it more and more over time now. Obviously, like there are elements of good names. Like they're catchy. You have a good domain name. Um, people can talk about it with other people. But you don't want to get so hung up on these nuances of the logo, the name, all these things. If you look at Airbnbs, like first website it was like air bed and breakfast the website right, was right kind of you know it wasn't if any of you want to like like get data on what i'm saying like just type in like the first websites of like some of the big companies that you know and it's always like you know nature box is a great example where they're now over a billion dollar company um, and they deliver snacks, um, healthy snacks to you every month. And what they did, the very first iteration was like a link. It was like one site, hey, do you want healthy snacks for $10 a month? It would bring you to a random PayPal account. You would pay them through this like shady PayPal link. And then they went to Costco and bought like Kirk. Kirkland's like healthy whatever and they put them in these like brown little bags and they were shipping them out and so I just yeah. bring up that example to say like don't get so hung up on the name the website the design aesthetic like these things start to become important later I do agree design is very important now more than ever but during these beginning stages the best thing you can do is get market validation and believe that you have a good idea.
Yeah, and MVP, most viable, um, you know, most viable product, right? Like that, that first thing that you're putting out into the market. Um, the, to the name point, I mean, look, I remember when I was thinking about the name, I was like, I want this to be Who's Your Landlord? Because I just heard a friend ask that question when we were at like someone in college's decent apartment. It was like, yo, who's your landlord? I was like, yo, that, I like that, I like that. And they had no idea I was thinking about the, the concept at the time. And I remember when I, when I went to do a, a domain search to see if it was taken, just normal WHO apostrophe S was taken. And I was like, fuck, like I really want that name. Um, so I gave it the E and I was like, there's a reason why this can work. And at the premise of it all was, I want people to be able to have ownership over their living experiences. And so I said, okay, wait, if who's with no apostrophe, uh, you know, S, uh, just W-H-O-S-E is ownership. I own this, I possess this. That's a, that works, that, that story works. We're using the possessive form of the word who because we're giving renters ownership of their living situation, putting housing in their hands. And so Love here it. we sit, you know, years later, and it's like, what, what I always point out, or I should point out more is to investors, can you imagine the early days when it's spelled wrong, theoretically, to people outside? As if I didn't know. So I, from day one, I was telling them what it was about. But still people were like, oh, no, you must have misspelled it and gave it a reason. I'm like, no, well, I, I, I misspelled it on purpose. That's the only difference. It wasn't an accident. But but to be real, like, it's like, you know, that's why, to your point, names don't matter unless they're really bad. Um, and for us, no matter what, people could grab onto the concept of like, oh, I want to own the space I live in, I, no matter what it is. Um, and that's why I think it's resonated so deeply from a brand perspective, but also, too, we invested in brand early. And I don't mean investment in terms of money. I mean investment in terms of time. So, the you know, making sure that everything looked as clean as possible, looked sim simple in terms of simplicity. Um, but I think that matters a lot nowadays in terms of, you know, there's a rule of thumb. It's like if you're about to send an email, once you type it all out, chop it in half, and then that's what you send. Mm. So that makes you have to go back and be more concise about what's actually in this email before I send it out. Do I do that every time? Probably not. But I think I've gotten <laughs> good at it, which is why my emails are usually not that long. But uh, next topic, and funny you're talking about communication because internal communications. Um, this this piece matters a lot. You know, when I know that for, this is even a growing process for us as an organization. Um, in the last, I'd say, month, month and a half, we've really drilled down on process. And that is, you know, shout out to people that have joined our team. Dom's out there, um, you know, people that really have keyed in on process. Lisa's out there as well. Um, and I think that that helping us to understand why that is so important internally is, is a game changer. Because in the early days to the question of starting your own business, in the early, early days, you're the workhorse. And you kind of have this ragtag mentality, grab on and we'll go together but you're running really fast and everyone just kind of hanging on and dragging in the back, that, that's not sustainable and it's not actually growth um, overall. So it's like that, that old African proverb is like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, so internal communications, I think, is a big piece. And the background you guys are seeing on this image is Slack. Um, Slack, I will admit, we've had Slack for like the last two and a half years. We never use it to the last two and a half months where we're like really actually on it heavily. Um, and the ability to send uh, documents through it very quickly, um, you know, hit people up with, with uh, information very, very fast, have different channels. This one's focused on podcasts. This one's focused on marketing. This one's focused on app development. You know, it, it just, it keeps things pretty clean and pretty organized. Um, while at the same time being able to, you, you can still have your own little, little private key keys and chats with your different team members. 
um, and get to know them as a human being as well. So I, that's what I've appreciated about it. Um, and I will say before what we would do a lot was we would use email. Um, so a lot of our email, even internal, would be email based, um, which is very, very regimented. I send a message, you send a message. I send a message, you send a message. Um, you know, you missed my message and now I'm sitting here waiting, right? Like, so uh, with, with things like Slack, I think that helps out tremendously. Um, what, what, what products or what, what tools do you use on your side of the team for internal communications? Yeah, so we use Slack as our primary thing. And I will admit, like, I've been, <laughs> like, most resistant to Slack on the team. Like, I actually, like, don't like Slack at all. But now I've grown to love it um, for different reasons. So we use Slack and we use Notion. Um, Notion is where all the document, it's kind of like, think about it as your company Wikipedia. So like anytime, you know, we have like a conversation, um, there are a lot of cool tools that will like capture the conversation that you're having on Zoom. It, it would even transcribe it into like one pagers and then you can upload it on Notion so that you don't have to have these conversations anymore. You could say, hey, go reference this conversation on our on our notion so you keep it really efficient um we almost don't do any internal email we went from like 80 to 90 percent internal communication via email to and like a lot of that was me my resistance to slack so i would always bring it back to email and the team is like look like we really need everything they actually like pushed on the slack and now it's almost no internal communication via email um so yeah, that's clear um, in terms of like, I think most people are using Slack nowadays in terms of communication. Um, the last thing I'll add on this, and I think it's related to internal communication, is that now more than ever, um, the key to executing is keeping your goals simple, clear, and measurable. And that's the goals for the company and the goals for like each person as well. Because like it's it's so easy now to like with the quarantine culture to lose track and check in on everything that everyone's doing. And I don't like to micromanage. So I don't wanna like call people and say like, what did you do this week or what did you do? And so when things are simple, clear and measurable at any given moment, you, you know where the company is going and you know where individuals like contributions are going as well. So again, simple, clear and measurable. Um, the measurable piece is really important. Um, even at, if you're at the earliest of stages, if you're like, you know what, over the next two weeks, I want to see if 100 people like, you know, sign up to try this product. Like that's a measurable goal, goal. it's simple and it's clear. And so by the end of the two weeks, you'll know whether or not you did that. Um, I'm gonna see if this is a good idea. That's not simple, clear and measurable. So at the end of the two weeks, you don't, you psychologically don't know how far you actually went in terms of, in terms of reaching that. So I would just um, echo that. Um, and then finally, sometimes things get lost via text. So like there are some things that do involve a quick five minute phone call. Like if it's something's getting lost via Slack, like hop on the phone real quick. Um, it doesn't have to be video all the time. Although video does help, um, you know, it does help build that, that relationship. So it can be tempting, you know, you just got out of bed looking kind of crazy to keep the video off. But, uh, you know, it, it really does help keep those relationships really strong. I've noticed the difference 
with different conversations that I've had on video versus without the video, just in terms of like how much we're engaging more, how close our relationship is, our working dynamic. So I do think video plays a role, but some things are just a quick phone call to check in. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and one thing you, you pull from, from Fatima's answer is that oftentimes founders are the most stubborn person in their own organization. <laughs> I mean, like part of it is like, there's a methodology to like, yo, it, this worked for me. This got me here. But yeah. it's like, but what gets you here doesn't often get you there. And so you have to always be ready to learn and, and adjust. And so, yeah, internal communication, I think, is, is, is big. And, and I'm glad we got a chance to just touch on it. Um, so now we're talking about freelancers and project-based work. Right, um, you know, I, from a from a team standpoint, I think this is very interesting too because to the point of it's already hard enough to learn how to communicate in full with your with your like you know concentrated team, but once you start in, to incorporate freelancers and more project oriented folks, you know, how do you go about handling that? Like, what does that communication look like? Where do you find people that are project based and freelance? Um, and what do you, how do you define freelance and project based? Because sometimes that can constitute your entire team. Um, especially in the beginning. So I'll, I'll pass it to you on that. For sure. So I've actually hired freelancers and I've been a freelancer myself um, during some of those early dark days of entrepreneurship. Um, actually, I got, made a living off of like freelancing while I was working on my business um, during that transition. Um, so that was, yeah. What I'll say on that is that Actually, you. I'm mm -hmm. going to pause. I know you're in the middle of a thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no this problem. reminds me of what I want to bring up on the last slide. Mm -hmm. um, for, for the entrepreneurs that are at home, that are solopreneurs, that are figuring it out, that are new to the game, you mentioned the idea of something being measurable, like having goals, measuring it. Did I achieve it? I, the question I get a lot from, and it could be family, it could be friends, it's, you know, how are you so self disciplined? Um, and for me, everybody's different. I think, you know, I'm actually, I, I'm actually, I think to, to maybe not to surprise my team, cause they know this, but I'm actually very much go with the flow. Like, like I, I, I'm a taskless person. I, I write it down in the morning. I go through and jot off. If I get seven of the eight, I'm like, good day. If I get four of the eight, I'm pissed. I'm like, yo, I didn't have a productive day as much as I wanted to, unless I know things came up that stopped it. But like when it comes to like, I don't let things really bug me that much unless I know it had to go out sooner, right? For you, how do you maintain, what's the self-discipline part, right? Because you can say write down a goal, go achieve it, but many folks don't know what is the right goal to measure? Is 100 signups is 100 good or is it bad? Um, yeah. So how, would you, how would you adjust that? That's a great point. For me at the beginning, and I know a lot of people are interested in the launching business thing, I would find the companies that are most like the ones that I would want to build, and I would Google and learn about their early days. So what was the first thing that they did? Because like, all of these companies have their stories online somewhere. If you dig hard enough, you can find their stories. Um, and you can start to find things like, well, we went to this one event and, you know, we put it out there and we got a thousand people to do X. What that does should be to tell you that you need to do that same thing, but it helps you kind of frame your goals into more like realistic things. Because um, it can be really intimidating to look at some of these like larger companies and just think that you can never go there. But, you know, like, for example, Birchbox, like their story, they were in their rooms and they made a hundred boxes on their own and then they went out 
and they got a hundred people to buy them. And so just getting to some of these stories, I think can help build some of those goals. And then in terms of, the, you know, the infamous thing that people say, um, you know, it takes 21 days to build a habit. And so I think we know which habits we need to break and which we would like to start. Um, some of us, you know, you could go online and learn a little bit more, but for me, like, I'm not really a morning person and I, I get a lot of work done in the evening. And so one thing that I wanted to develop was, you know, a morning meditation practice before phone calls. And so I was like, okay, for 21 days, I'm going to do this. At day 11, if you don't, if you miss it, you got to start back from the beginning. It's really about that consecutive. And so I think it's about thinking about the type of business leader that you want to be, the type of entrepreneur you want to be, write down what skills you have that are great and the skills that you think you need based on research and what other entrepreneurs have said is important and then figure out what are the habits that you need to create to do that. Um, you know, one habit might be every morning you want to get to inbox zero, which is like not the case. My inbox is not me. That is not me. You know, for some people, I know, yeah, I'm literally, it's like embarrassing. Um, (laughs) But for some people, that's psychologically a habit they want to create to really get productive in the morning. So every morning, they're, you know, really, really big um, in terms of, um, is my sound better now? You're good. It was, it's a little fuzzy, but I think it's, but it's clear though. You're good. Okay, cool. yeah, that, those are really the, the main things right now. Um, the, the habits that you need to create, um, figuring out the gap between where you are and where, where you need to be, and then building the habits to do that. Awesome, awesome. And so now, now I'm sorry, I interrupted your initial thought on freelancing <laughs> and project-based work. How do, you, how do you keep the communication smooth? Um, and, and also, yeah, like how, you, I, I, and actually, I'd love for you to start too, like, you know, how are you a good freelancer, right? Like what makes a good freelancer? Maybe we should start there. Yeah. I mean, for the longest, like freelancing was the thing that not only kept me alive, it helped me pay my team members as well before we raised money. And so I think it was, I went on a lot of these platforms like Upwork and I realized that you know, there are a lot of people on there, but people weren't really like differentiating their profile. So I made like a video and like I added a video on there about like my background, what I can add. um, And I took every single client seriously and to the point where I couldn't even handle all the work that was coming in. Um, So I, you know, happy to chat with people um, or another conversation just on that because that was like a business in and of itself. And that is a business. Like for many of you on the call here, if you're a freelancer and you're looking to take your freelancing to the next level, that's also starting a business. Like you need a bank account, you need processes in place. How do you invoice people? All of that is a business as well. And like, you know, you have to think about the tools that you're going to use. That being said, we hired some of our most important early hires from Upwork. So our project manager we got from Upwork initially. And I will say that was one of the most critical hires that we made early on. And it wasn't, you know, like a very um, expensive um, hire at the beginning, but it was transformative. Like she was on our calls she like she would write down who said they were going to do what and she would literally text me and like yell at me like hey this is supposed to get done this week you got to get it done and i was like 
wow, this is amazing. Like, this is exactly what I need. And so we found her on Upwork. She was a project manager. She, every week, she knew exactly what everyone needed to do. Um, she would get things on people's calendars and she would be the one holding everyone accountable. Um, Cause we realized on the team, we weren't all the most organized people at all. And so that was one of the first hires we made from Upwork and it had a huge impact on um, the business. I'm glad you brought that up because the assumption is that when people are on your team, like everyone in the beginning wants like this big team. I think people still have this kind of archaic thought of, I want the corner office and I want this massive team that, that fills the entire space. But the reality is what I found is that oftentimes, it's no shade to team members because y'all y'all out here, I love y'all. But like when people are on your team, deadlines are more like, how effective can you as CEO lead to inspire them to hit the deadlines? Because you, you're, you're part, a lot of your job is, as a, is making them and having the team understand it's very about, it's all about interdependencies. So like, you know, he, her, and them can't do their job if you don't do yours. Like, do you see how that connects? Like, you have to really draw that line. Whereas with a freelancer, there, especially when like an Upwork, there's the, the tasks, the milestones they must hit. There's a timelines, then there are reviews. So if they don't hit the, the milestones and the timelines and they're, you know, annoying to work with, you don't rehire them. And, and, and if you give them a poor review, it's hard to get hired again. And so that's the difference oftentimes too, between like freelance workers and your team is that, you know, internally you're like, come on, yo, can you, can you finish that? <laughs> help me help you. Right. But then externally it's like, yo, like I got my reviews to keep up. And that's our whole business when it comes to housing is like, you know, if, if a, if a landlord or a developer or a property manager is very aware that like, if I'm not performing, my reviews are not high, they're probably going to perform better. Um, and so that's, that's the whole basis. And I think it works out very, very well in the freelance world as well. Um, and then also too, just to speak to like early and where we are now in the beginning of our journey, um, I think to me, consulting work or freelance work sometimes seemed very expensive. Um, and what you don't account for is that you're, you're literally just paying for them to execute. Whereas when you bring people on salary, you're just paying them. And mind you, if they're a hard worker, they fill the time in well. If they're not, you are just paying them and hoping they deliver on a product or hoping they deliver on, on a task. And so what I would say too, is that I realized, you know, from a freelance perspective, in the beginning, what seems expensive is actually fairly cheap. Right. Like from a consulting level, you know, getting a fee, like I'll put it this way, getting like three hours of like an expert marketer's time is sometimes better than getting a month of someone you just designated the marketer. I agree. Like, I like agree. it's you, like, like, like people, like you're not paying. I think this is the miscalculation I made in the beginning. My thought was I was paying them for their hour. Ah, I'm paying them for the years before that hour. <laughs> like, Right. And because everything they learned in the years before is which is what it, it makes that hour so impactful. And that's where I'll say now I have no problem figuring out how to bring the right consultant on board or figuring out how to bring the right strategist, strategist on board because I'm like, yo, I just want an hour of your time to learn from you. And if we can learn and integrate that into how we build and how we you know, move and process, we'll be fine. Um, but if I, if, if, if I play around and, oh, well, this person's, they're new, right? And this is no, no shade to college students or anything like that. But like in the beginning, it's like, I think the social media corporations were like, get a college student to do social media. 
nah, G. Social media, is so, <laughs> we're watching it. It's so important. Like, you know, and, and it's not just, college students can do it, but they have to actually be good at doing it. Um, not just simply they're young, they know technology, throw them in that role. It's just not that simple. We all wish it was because it would mean the work was cheaper, but you sometimes you pay for what you get. And uh, and a lot of times too, your ability to inspire and to motivate can also make up for where maybe you can't fully offer money or what have you in those spaces. So. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a question here that was sent twice around the type of freelancing I was doing. Um, really quickly on that, I thought of anything I could add value. I realized I was doing a lot of pitching to investors, so like pitch deck work, um, business school applications. I was like, oh, I'll review those. College, undergrad, college applications, I'll review those. Some people wanted general advice. So, um, Again, to Ofo's point, people are looking for very specific tasks on Upwork. Like you could go there and say, hey, I need someone to manage my email campaigns that get sent out to people. I don't wanna think about the email campaigns. I need an expert to come in and do that. And some of you may have had experience doing that for your own companies and you can do that, or you wanna hire someone to do it right away, but it's that specificity of the task that's really cool about Upwork. And I'm sure a lot of you may not even know there are things you know how to do, People are on Fiverr monetizing off of doing voiceovers. Like they just have a voice, like no, no special type of voice. They're like, hey, like you'll send me a script. I will read it and send you the audio file and then you could use it on your marketing collateral. So just get creative. There are ways to make money as a freelancer. That is so real. That's so real. Like there's a lot of ways to make money as a freelancer. Um, and also too, like I think, um, well, let me see here. Um, someone's asking you, Fatima, uh, on Upwork, did you use multiple videos to market yourself or the same one? Oh, I just used one video. It was like a 30, 40 second video. It was like, hey, I love brands. I love products, a little bit about me. Um, and then I just put it on my profile. And I think it was more different. Like a lot of other profiles didn't have videos. So I would just look at what are the other videos um, or what are the other profiles and how do you stand out? Even like your profile picture, what you put as like your title, uh, and then demand the, the hourly rate that you need. Cause like Ofo said, it's not just that hour. It's like all the experience and all the years that went into it. And in a lot of cases, people were booking me just cause I had the highest hourly rate. They were like, oh, look, we just wanted an so expert. Cool. Yeah, they're like, we wanted an expert. Cause I asked, I was like, so why did you pick my profile? They're like, well, you had this insanely high hourly rate. So we like wanted an expert. And so like really, really demand what you're worth and like people will pay for that because some people are looking to just hire an expert and obviously demand what you're worth. Like don't just go on there and demand for like <laughs> hundreds of dollars an hour. <laughs> um, you know, pick something you think you're really good at and like incorporate the, the years that went into developing that craft. And yeah, like you can, you'll, you'll be surprised at what you can make to maybe even fund your business, you know? Because re remember like, People that have, well, usually people in high leadership positions that have a lot of money, they are thinking about time. How fast can you deliver? How much time can you save me? So if I got to pay an extra $100 an hour because you're going to save me time, I will pay that money. 
And in the beginning, we, we, we cut ourselves short. We charge a, a very cheaply because we're like, yo, I just want to want to undercut the competition. I, I'm going to come in at, you know, $20 an hour. Um, my, my boy Abu, who does like social media paid, paid marketing, and you might even know him. He's, he's out in the space. But he shares a story about how, like, um, he used to charge $20 a month for his social media classes, his paid social media classes. And he was like, everyone was getting back to him, like, hey, bro, you know I would, but it's too expensive. You know what I mean? I don't got 20 extra. It's like, bro, we spent $20 one night getting beers before we yeah. go out or something, right? <laughs> like, and that's, that's like cheap, right? If it, right. Know, in terms of what he could make. So finally, he was like, yo, forget this. I'm going to charge 1000 and see what happens. He charges a thousand dollars for the subscription, and he sells out. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, remember, like pricing is psychology. It's mm -hmm. not the it does the it's it's not out of the people's like we will we will buy something that we don't need because we feel like we need it. The iPad to me never needed to exist, but Apple is masterful at making us feel like yo I I have to have that though. You know how many iPads are just like elevator pads now? You walk up and press 411 and you go, like, it's like, but they made us feel like we needed it. And and so what Apple's so masterful at is marketing, right? Um, and, and the storytelling part of it. Um, but to keep on track here, project management tools, like what do you, what do you use to, to manage your projects and keep the team on the same page? Um, and how do you go about that? Yeah, we used to use Asana. We don't use it anymore. <laughs> um, we didn't have the best luck. Again, my resistance. We actually switched to, so we have an agile um, development process. So we use Jira for most of our stuff and Notion. Um, so Jira, we just create tickets of things that need to get done. And then every week we prioritize the list of things that we're going to do. And why that's really cool is Sometimes like tickets need to be broken up into like, and I'm sure all of you have been familiar with this in that you'll make a to-do list and you'll get like two of the things done on the list, but those two things were actually like 10 things baked into that one item. And so psychologically now I put every little detail on my to-do list because I feel great every time I cross those things out. You know, and so the same thing with project management, you really want to like break up the tasks into like very specific things. You know, if you want to send out an email campaign, instead of putting a ticket that says create an email that's going to go out to all my, you know, people on my mailing list, maybe it'll be multiple tickets like create the graphic for the email. Um, you know, refresh my email list and look at it and verify, write the content send so now you're like going through each element of it and you feel productive it's not like oh i didn't send that email out today but you know that you did like very specific elements of it i love that because what i've been struggling the most with so we our team has grown a lot in the last couple months um and in that process you're you're managing really the organizational chart you're managing you know interpersonal communication which means you're managing egos and, and all that and how it slices together. And that's just a real process. We're all humans. We all we come in with what we know. Um, but what, what I think is, is very powerful about just product from a product management standpoint is, you know, a lot of times I, like I said, I'm a checklist person and it's been frustrating over the last several weeks, starting the day with a checklist, but not finishing out that checklist and feeling like, ah, I had more conversations today that are actually additive than like, production. But what you don't realize in those moments, and what I, I think I had to tell myself even before going into that space, I knew we were in a space of a lot of change. I was like, these next few weeks are going to be a little bit bumpy. 
And I have to own that now so that when I go through it, it's more matter of I embrace this. This is new. This is good. This is fresh. This is this is refreshing where we're going versus thinking of it like, yo, like, I don't care about your feelings. Like, you good. Like, let's move past this. Let's just keep going. Um, because if you really believe in the people that are working with you, you, you spend that time, you invest that time and making sure they're good as best yeah. as you can. It's back to the idea of the leader making yeah. you feel important versus the manager who just wants to feel important. Right. Um, and one cool tip that I just I picked up on Twitter right before we got off on the call was um, someone someone was saying, you know, and this went viral, the idea of when I'm when they're hiring people in managerial positions or higher, they ask them from a position of supervisor, manager, leadership. Explain to me how you how you apologize last time you messed up to someone that was your like subordinate, and I'm like that's so interesting, right? Because you know um, we're so used to if you if you need someone, you're like you're you're fast to say like I'm my bad, right. I'm sorry, right. right? It's a game right. of leverage. I'm, we're good here, right? But like, what happens in the space where you fuck up as a right. leader and you have to look at your team and they got they they go like dog, you fuck up. Like, yeah. how do you actually apologize in that space? So um, for us, just to keep it on the tools too, like we use monday.com. Mm -hmm. Again, um, we've tried different things before, like Basecamp. Um, yeah. we've, we've tried other other outlets. I think Monday's been the best. My team would argue that I don't use it as much as I should. So I <laughs> But I do, I do. I've gotten better at responding to things. And I will next get better at checking things off when they're actually complete. Um, but I, I will say it's, it's, it's very good in terms of management. I use it for investor relations right now, too. Um, as you guys can see as the backdrop of this, this image on the screen, you can get very granular in terms of what you're actually depicting uh, being important steps. And then you can also toggle through and update what are the different outcomes. So it's up to so you. Once again, you're naming you know, what is most important to you. And I, I love that this tool allows you to do that. And then as you guys can see far right, the timeline, where is it in the queue? How close are you to fruition and finishing it out? So um, monday.com would be the process, uh, a project management tool I'd, I'd uh, you know, push to, to everyone here. And uh, yeah, I think it's worked so far so well or so good for us. Um, document storage. Um, so, uh, let me let me take a step back. I know for us, what's been very important is Slack is internal communications, emails external communications to our organization, whatever the case is, clients, users, um, document storage. That's Google Drive for us. You can get very very specific in terms of how you package things. Even for investors right now, you know you have a data room, and that data room is a lot of a lot of information that's pertinent to your business. What I'll say is I have two data rooms. One that is like, you're about to invest. Here's some real information about finances and all the above. And one is like, oh, you're, the, the palette's wet. Like you're <laughs> interested. Here's some more like data visualizations, some more demos, some more screenshots. Um, here's our deck, like the initial investor deck. Um, so, you know, Google Drive is very, very good at being able to, you know, parse that. Um, and then you can opt, you know, share it with who you want to share it with. You can make it locked, you can make it open. Um, so I would use, I, I would encourage you using Google, uh, you know, Google Drive for document storage. And then let me think what else we use. Monday.com for project management. Um, Doodle now is going to help us with planning um, more and more. Uh, and then what else is something I probably use often? And then Zoom and Google Meets. Zoom low key is way better. Um, Google Meets, <laughs> the share function has just been. I, I I just have had so many situations where it's not that smooth. And one thing people don't realize about Google is Google can very often, they, what I love about how actually they roll from a marketing standpoint is 
they used to do this thing where they would just tag everything with beta. When you saw beta, you assumed, okay, it might be glitchy. So you would use it, it would glitch, you go, but it's in beta. But things would be in beta for years, <laughs> like years. <laughs> and things like Google Plus, like that, I thought that was in beta for forever. And then finally, God put it to Google rest. Plus is weird. I feel like we don't think about the failures of some of these large companies enough. They're, they're always just throwing things out there, but yeah. the psychology, psychology. So it would say beta. Um, so, I mean, here's a lesson on psychology, you know, throw beta on things that you think might break. But what I would say too, is that, um, you know, utilize software that works, right? Um, you know, I can, I'll, I'll, I have other ideas for some other things I want to talk about, but at least I'll leave it for there for now. Uh, Fatima, thoughts on uh, document storage, how you keep track of all your PDFs, DocX, yeah. XLSX, all that stuff. Yeah, so we use a combination of like um, Dropbox and um, Notion, as I mentioned. So Notion has like even like little tutorials. Like I had our lead, um, our CTO, make a lot of different tutorials over video um, so that he can upload it all on Notion and our other developers just go on there and they can see different things as they pop up. Um, so yeah, Notion and um, Documents uh, and Dropbox for sure. And then one last point on the... Um, it was really cool to hear about Monday because I've heard a lot of really good things about Monday and we're thinking about using that as well. Uh, but psychologically, they it is proven that people are more successful or the more successful people are not the people who have more things on their to-do list and get a higher percentage of them done, but people who are more realistic about what can get done um, and I think it's a, it's a really powerful study. It's a very important point to consider. So just think about that both for yourselves, how you manage yourself, because you are, you need project management as well. And then how do you have like the project management for the company? And, and, and that's where differentiation becomes so key. So earlier you had mentioned the idea of you have these big goals, these audacious goals you want to reach. And then in between, there's so many subsets of things you have to do, these milestones, if you will. Um, when you're writing out that list, the idea here is that I'm aiming for pressing send on that email because of when I press send, the person receiving it is a potential client, potential investor, potential team member. And so you're checkboxing all the steps to make sure that it's received the best way possible. What you don't wanna do is simply create your to-do list from the standpoint of looking busy. Because what I think, you know, I, and I, I, maybe I'll touch on this from like a millennial and Gen Z standpoint. Yeah. I think a lot of us want to feel like we're working hard, but a lot of us are actually just really busy. Busy is and, not and, productive. And busy is not productive. Um, <laughs> the idea of like working smart versus working hard. The reason why the list is so short when you talk about like leadership and having a short list is because there's the understanding of all the in-between that has to be that has to be done for it to actually work. And when you remove that and you start just doing the like everything, every single thing you do is work, ooh, like it's, it's gonna be a long slug for you because a lot of the things, you know, you talked about earlier doing freelance work, not even to pay your own bills per se, but to like help and pay for your team members. What a lot of people don't understand is in this process of entrepreneurship, my dad would always say this to me too, like the entrepreneur is the person who would sleep on their floor so their team could sleep on the bed, right? And there's been so many situations like where I was just not paying myself at all. And people were like squabbling over incremental stuff that they weren't even necessarily owed. 
not realizing like I haven't gotten a check in months looking at them like oh for real for real right so it's it's I, I think there's a lack of respect for the journey right now and more this microwave society of like I want it now but the reality is in order to like like I had the idea for who's your landlord like eight years ago you've been a business for five right like there, there's not an understanding for all the incremental steps in between to even get you right here and then talk less of the fact that as black founders, the idea of these success points should turn into this money is not a real thing either. So it's like these success points matter to a certain extent, but a lot of times it's like, you gotta like, all right, you know, you gotta pat yourself on the back because you're not getting the love. And, For sure. And there's an incongruence in press coverage and funding. Press does not mean you have more clients. Press does not mean you have more funding. This is not 40 years ago or 100 years ago where New York Times meant, oh my gosh, be good. <laughs> like, right. right now, only the New York Times, I feel like, or the Washington Post or these big you know, institutions can have real menial effect on your actual business. Otherwise, right. though, it's a firmer rule. Like, get happy, you get a little spike. You know, tech crunch, that's love. You get a little spike, and then it goes back right. to normal. So it's right. how do you retain these people on the platform? Um, so, or retain these customers, or whatever the case is for your business. So um, I could digress a bit, but I'm glad we touched on the document storage. Um, now, tech management. Um, obviously, there's non-tech people on this call too, but General Assembly obviously is gets a lot more technical things. So, for most of you out there that are in tech, um, how do you go about tech management? Um, you actually are a software engineer, um, so you could speak more maybe from a granular perspective. For me, I was more business strategy, business ideas, business leader, um, uh, human guy, <laughs> tech guy. Um, that's not me. So, tech, technology management. How do you talk about that? So I'm actually a chemical engineer, but you're right. Fair enough. Yeah, but I've actually picked up on a lot of um, software engineering skills, just having to like dive into the code myself. And this is really where you can go on YouTube. Literally, when I tell you you can learn anything, it's coming from this place where there are moments where I had to, I had to have an understanding of how long things were gonna take to be able to manage developers, because a they weren't gonna really like have that respect that was necessary to like be efficient if I couldn't talk their language as well. Um, and so that was like a very important part. Um, again, I think you do wanna bring on other people like developers or project managers or designers where you know that they're so good at what they're doing that you feel like if you touch it, you'll break it or like you'll make it worse. And I wasn't hiring like that initially, right? But you really wanna hire people like that where you know they know their stuff so well, you don't even wanna dabble in it too much, right? And that's, I had to learn that because I had a very big issue with delegating. Um, but from a tech management perspective, I bring that up to say like, obviously everyone, you know, I'm managing people who are experts and obviously know about you know, certain things a lot better than I do. Um, and so we use Jira. That's like our primary thing where you can see like how long it took people to do certain tasks. What's the ramp up chart? So the ramp up chart just shows like how fast you're moving as a company. Um, and so you want to see like how long does it take to ramp up a developer? Because anytime you bring someone new, it takes some time to like 
ramp them up, right? And those are the jobs that may not be best for Upwork, right? Where if you know the ramp up time for them to understand the company is like a couple months, then that in and of itself may not make sense. But if it's very specific development tasks, we've hired developers on Upwork for very specific things as well. Um, and all of it would funnel into, into Jira. So that's like our number one tool that we use. So, so uh, you know, here we, we, we got to keep it real all the time, right? The delegation part, right? So there's a lot of folks that are solopreneurs, like I mentioned, or new entrepreneurs, and they're starting to be like, ah, I got to give up, right? I got to give up, not give up on the process, but give up some control over certain things. How did you get better at delegating, you know, tasks, process, meetings even to your team members? Yeah, it was, it was really long, but I think I, I'm trying to remember which book it was from, but it was really, it came down to, you know, as a founder, as a CEO, really Fatima, you have two things to do. You have to make sure there's money and you have to hire great people. Those are the two things you have to do. Um, and I realized I was doing a lot of other things, <laughs> um, but really when I boiled it down to like, those are the two things that are most important, make sure that there's funding for this. Obviously at the early, during the early days, you're everything, right? You're the, you're a graphic designer, you're a social media manager, you're an email marketer, you're doing a lot of things. But once you realize that you need to put people who are like the best and they know better than you at these things and that's the only way that you're going to win then it, it to me it was like okay i have to get over whatever is going on up here and figure that out otherwise we will not be successful we will not move the needle yeah no that makes a lot of sense um for for, for us technology management it, it was a, a confluence of a lot of things or combination of a lot of things um github where you can it, that's where more collaborative efforts happen you can kind of gauge how people are pushing and submitting code um, and folks can then download what they need to their machine so they can then contribute code-wise as well. AWS, uh, you know, Amazon Web Services in terms of hosting a lot of our images, videos, that kind of stuff as well. Um, trying to think what else have we, have we been using? Uh, Heroku, so they, like for us, data, and, and, and that's for, it's another, another big platform we use in terms of managing our platform. Um, and some of these I can drop in the chat as well, just to, so people have them. Um, hold on a second. I'm gonna drop it in. So Heroku, um, what else? Uh, GitHub, um, AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services. When you win those kind of like AWS credits and stuff like that, like that's actually very helpful to take all that stuff. It is until you start winning pitch competitions and you realize it's only AWS. I'm like, how many I don't, AWS credits? I don't, I don't, that's what I don't like though. I don't like the, the misalignment in terms of- It's like $50,000 pitch competition. And then you get there and it's like $50,000 worth of AWS. Well, it's $50,000 in kind services. I yeah. don't like it at all. Nah, give me my money. Like, um, so definitely throwing those stuff in there. Um, uh, if you scroll up, if you scroll up, I send Heroku, GitHub, AWS. Oh, uh, I'll add it to them because I think it went to panelists. Oh, my bad, y'all. My bad. I didn't realize it was all these different. Okay, panelists. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Thank you for that. This is um, why Google Meet might be better. <laughs> I'm joking. Actually, I think. <laughs> and I didn't. Well, to be real, I, I just put myself out there. 
I didn't realize. So we, we've had Google Suite and that manages everything like Google Drive, you know, Google Docs, you know, whatever. Um, all your all my emails and stuff like that, all the company's emails. Um, I didn't realize we were paying for Google Meet. So for, for the longest, uh, when I would send out an invite, Google Meets was in there already. <laughs> I, th I was like, yo, so when they say Google Meets is finally free for everyone, I was like, what you mean? <laughs> I realized we were paying for it. <laughs> so that's one other thing. But um, cool. They got all right, cool. Everyone got it. Um, but for the folks that are using like Squarespace out there that are just building it, like you don't need to nowadays build it from the ground up. You don't always necessarily need like a CTO or a, a real uh, a developer. I'm sorry, not a real estate developer. See, I'm still living my life. <laughs> um, you don't always need like a software developer for everything you do. Um, similar to like the MySpace comment I made earlier, a lot of these, a lot of times now there are sites where you can build websites within them. Um, and they have, they boiled it down from like a user interface and a user experience standpoint, where it make it very simple for you to engage with them. Um, to the point Fatima brought up earlier about product market fit, I think that they can be very, very helpful, especially for like folks in retail, like market what you have, see if people buy into it and the story through your platform, do they reach out to you and, and can you convert them to another cell? Right, like, and, it, and you can use a, a, a simple site to figure that stuff out now. You don't need like a whole development team in the beginning. You just need a platform where you can measure these things. And I think a lot of these sites now, if not all of them, come with analytics tools. So you understand the visitors, you understand what they're doing on your site. Um, and, and so that that's key. Um, but remember too, like building a website in 2020 is not the same as building one in 1997, right? Like, which means that before you could raise money or you could get traction just by like having the right domain and um and promoting the right thing now there's so much noise you know like think about social media like like i can think i'm hopping on instagram for like a, a second just to get a break the next thing i know is 30 minutes have passed and i'm like oh damn i still got to do work um for me that that's probably even most appropriate with twitter just reading things right so like that that being said it's like your competition isn't always someone doing the same thing as you. It's all the other things that you're competing with to get the attention of the user. Uh, I think the, the, the sad is the average person downloads zero apps a month. <laughs> like, <laughs> think about it, like, how yeah. many apps do you download a month? Once, right. you get, like, once you like switch over, maybe you get a new phone, whatever, you get the same things you had before. You get Facebook, you get Insta well, assuming you get Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, you get Snapchat, you get, you get, you know, your your like Adobe Acrobat, you get the things that you need, you right? Your calendar, et cetera. And then you're like, prove it to me for everything right. else. Right. So realize you're not competing against everybody doing the same thing you're doing. You're competing against all the other things making noise for the attention of mostly now, I'd say a lot is millennials and Gen Z's who who for the most part have either grown into using this or have grown up using this. Um, external communications, obviously email, um, but what are some things you use to manage that, Fatima, for your team? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So we use, you know, surprisingly enough, one thing that a lot of our investors and people in our network started to know me for is that I would send out these like really like detailed, intricate, like monthly or quarterly investor updates, like even from the beginning. Um, and 
I would use MailChimp and then a combination of MailChimp. And there was this other site, essentially, it was a template that I got from somewhere. Maybe it was Envato. Envato Elements is a place where you can download a lot of really cool templates, like pitch deck templates, email templates. Um, and then you download the template, you put it into MailChimp. And these emails were like, A, they realized a lot of people are not sending out updates all the time. Um, and like, we would make it into like a story almost like, hey, like this didn't work out this month. Um, you know, we're still not winning here, but we did this thing and that kind of thing. Some people who didn't invest early on, like 12 update emails later, they're like, actually like, I wanna come on board just cause like we see you continuing to tell the story. So even if people don't invest, get them all on this listserv because, or this email mailing list, because that could be really valuable later. Even if this company doesn't work out for you, then you have this list that you can tap into for the future. You wanna always keep every conversation that you have, even if it didn't manifest into a check, you wanna keep it into this like, Rolodex that you can tap into later. Um, and so that's really, even if it's personal updates, like if you don't have a business, if it's you want to send two updates about your life a year, not like every, like people don't want to know about what happened to you last week, but you know, like two to three emails a year, like, hey everyone, you know, I'm thinking about starting this company, you know, these are my ideas. You'd be surprised at how many things can manifest from some of those emails that you send out. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd echo that as well. I think it's very important to send out, you know, um, company updates, like where are you at, what's happening. Um, a lot of people, like, you know, you, you guys often hear the idea of people invest in the person, not necessarily the business. Um, part of that adage is, is the idea that if I know, that, or people invest in the jockey, not the horse, right? Like somebody's going to grind out. If I know this person is going to work very hard, they're going to work long enough to figure it out. Remember, money buys you time. Like, I think the incongruent measure is that money is like this abundant resource that then buys you fancy things. Money buys you time, and, and especially in business. And you're utilizing that time to then execute on things that you have said you can execute on. Um, and so quarterly updates, you know, monthly updates, I encourage those a lot. I think, um, you know, for, for I, we've done, we've mixed it up. We've done quarterly before and then we've done monthly and then we went like the quarterly and then we've done monthly again. Um, the key thing is to get very clean and, and, and clear on what you're presenting. Like what information do you want to keep people, up, people updated on? Because I'll say this, if you, if let's say you have five different areas of your business that you update people on for the first three, four months in a row, and then like one of those four or five components doesn't do well, so you delete it. You just put the four or five that do well. Everyone's looking for the one that you didn't include. <laughs> so what I would say is put, put, put simple, clear things on there um, that are, are, are what you're facing. But then also to remember at the bottom of any update email, include your ask. What are you asking for? What do you need? Where are you seeing trouble? Because that's a reframing that I, you know, people would say all the time when you're doing an interview, you know, say, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm good at last minute solution and problem solving. It's like, no, you're a procrastinator. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Manipulate the words. Um, with your, with your investor updates or your company updates, however you, you know, splice that, you can turn your negatives into like, yo, like we're not perfect. Here's, I need introductions to potential clients. 
I need introductions to people who can give me feedback on this product. I need to create a study group, you know, or focus group and, and hear more about what it is that we're doing and, and what they think about it. Like at, get comfortable asking the questions. The person that's actually comfortable asking the questions is usually the person more confident in what they're actually doing. It's the person who's hiding information that's very, very pertinent to what the future of success looks like that oftentimes doesn't get there. And I think one of the things for me, and I, this is a, a, we're all learning. For you, you talked earlier about the idea of, 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 man, of management and delegating. For me, it's like, we're, like if we're a company on transparency, it's like I got to be transparent about what's going on. Right. And I know for me, early, I'm thank, I thank God that we learned this early, but I remember, you know, we, we had raised some capital. We thought we were good because we had gotten all these commits. So we're like, yo, we're good. And um, you're spending that money on, on, in, on people's salaries, spending it, spending it. And they don't see the bank account you do. Right. And your job is to show up like, yo, we're doing it every day while also knowing, damn, yo, like we, our, our monthly burn rate, how much we're spending each month is, is exorbitant, right? Or exorbitant to what you have. And I remember early on learning, like we went through a situation where we ran out of money and it wasn't until we we're about two checks out where I was like, yo guys, like I mind you, I did mention over and over and over again, like this is where investments are, this is who's cut checks, whatever, whatever. But not as granular as I am today. Or today I, I put my investor meetings in the Slack, my investor meetings in the Slack channel all the way through. But before I remember find, getting to a point where there was about three investors that had committed something but didn't cut the check. And I was like, oh shit. Like if, if they said 200,000's in, I thought it was in. What you learn is it's until it hits the bank account. And it's the same for like for freelancers getting paid. Until it hits the bank account, that is accounts receivable. <laughs> that is not money that you have. So from that vantage point, having to then break down to the team, like, yo, we're, we don't got no bread. Like in a couple, in about a month's time, y'all can either look for other stuff or y'all can ride with me. Like <laughs> at that point, it's a crab shoot. Like, like most people are gonna be like, yo, I got a girl or I got a guy, I gotta make my money. I got a dog, I got a kid, I got a whatever. Nah. So from that standpoint, if someone asked, did you borrow or use lines of credit? So nah, like I, I actually, we ran out of bread. I. I I prayed on it. I'm not even kidding. I remember I, 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 the first time in this journey that like completely like the tears, the sh I was in shambles. Like, yo, God, I don't know how we gonna figure this out. Like we've been, we've been grinding so hard. It's not working. Um, and working from a standpoint of money, not working, the, the product was actually helpful, but I think, you know, if you're making a business, you're not making just like a helpful product. Um, so from that vantage point, uh, that's where I was emotionally, mentally spent. And then it was uh, a week. I remember talking to my uh, my co-founder at the time, being like to him, "Yo, like we fucking we're spent. I don't got nothing left here. I don't know what to do." He was like, "Yeah, man, let's just keep grinding and see what happens." And um, a week later, we ended up closing a ten thousand dollar deal with like a partner, and they cut the check like fast, fast. That doesn't usually happen. Usually, there's a net thirty days, sixty days, ninety days. Right. They cut the check. They did half up front, half like so. It was enough to keep us rolling, and then we were able to raise more funding, and it's time to go from there. So, what I what I want to stress, you know, and I, maybe I can point this out too, is just especially for any founders out there, like realize at this point in time, like investors have seen it all, right? Um, and it's getting harder and harder to raise as a result. And there's this old adage in the black community that if white people catch a cold, we catch the flu. 
realize if it's hard for white people to raise, it is very hard <laughs> for black people to raise. And so it is not an easy environment to raise at all in general before COVID. Now add COVID to the mix and all of a sudden investors, they, their auto response to you in the beginning of COVID was we're looking internal. We're reinvesting in our portfolio companies. We're doing bridge rounds. We're giving them capital. We're, we're extending lines of credit. And they weren't even taking new deals. Now, you know, now it's, there's more comfort in, I've never met this entrepreneur in person before, but I'll do the deal via, via Zoom, right? And, and that's new, but it's not an easy process ever securing a lead. Like, in mind, we're in this process right now again. So it's securing a lead to, rate, to, to lead that round. And all, there's, there's so many easy outs for an investor that cherish even like, oh, we got another meeting. Okay, cherish that, but realize, make sure they're asking the right questions and you're also asking the right questions of them. Um, because if it's not, I, I am, I've turned down easily a half a million dollars from different investors where I'm like, this shit isn't right. And that's, that's fair. Like you're, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Um, but external communications, uh, I, you know, Gmail or emails for us is, is key. Um, and then to, you know, uh, just making sure that everything that's going out externally is also being communicated within the team as best as possible. Um, but that's what I would highlight as well. And then also for social media purposes too, you know, uh, someone asked a question earlier in the chat about brand voice and, and like developing that. Um, I'm a big believer in brand voice. Like, uh, I think America is the best brand on the planet. I also, I, look, I'm an, I'm an American. I was born in Patterson, New Jersey. I love America to its core. It, I think there's a lot of things to change, but I also am very cognizant of the fact that like I'm, I am American first before I'm Nigerian or Bayesian or any of the, the sort. Um, the reason why I point out the branding of America is because America's branded itself very well as being this all encompassing, everyone's a part of this story, while at the same time excluding people from the story. Branding is so important. And I, I made a reference to Apple and the iPad earlier. Like it doesn't have to be perfect but I will say, you know, unless you're a completely enterprise client, you know, where, where only, the only thing you're doing is working with other businesses, and I still think brand is important there in terms of developing trust. Remember, when Fatima made that video on her profile for Upwork, that's branding. I want you to know me as a human, not just as like this person punching in numbers or whatever and creating something for you, doing pitch decks for you, whatever the case is, right? So in everything you're doing, it's branding. How you respond to things is branding. I'm notoriously five minutes late. That's my brand. That's just who I am. But you got to own that, accept that, <laughs> realize that. You know, um, one of our team members was like to me, she was like, yo, you got to write a book like five minutes late, a memoir. Like that, that's who I am, right? I own that. I accept that. But I also do the work. So it makes that waiting for that five minutes is not that bad, right? But realize all those things really, really matter. Um, you got it, you got it. Um, so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna move to the next slide uh, here, um, customer relations. And we only have a couple left here too. So, um, you know, I think we're, we're coming close to the time here, about 20 minutes out. Keep asking questions. I'm gonna keep reading with this I can. How much money do you think you need to, before you start a business, even before pitching or crowdfunding? I know it, it will vary, but a ballpark will be helpful. That part about it will vary is so right. Um, so I started Who's Your Landlord at a point where I was, I had a side job from, from what I was doing just general in college. And that little bit of money I was, uh, was paying towards our, our, our developer. And 
it got to a point where we were doing a lot of things, but I didn't have, I couldn't keep up with what was expected in terms of cost. Um, so I remember reaching out to our developer and our CTO at the time and being like, hey, look, like, I don't got it. Like next month is looking rough for me. And, but he had worked with us for a few months. So he had worked with me for a few months. So he knew, and his response to me was like, yo, like, I know you're good for it. And on top of that, like, yo, I love what we're doing. I enjoy it. Um, and so what I would say is I wouldn't encourage that. I got, I was able to be okay with that because I was very young. I was a college student, all that, all that kind of stuff. But realizing these moments, you know, a lot of the, like, when you're penny pinching, that's when you get really good at having hard conversations. And one of our early team members said to me, you know, like, what they had learned was the mark of a true leader was, or measuring leadership over time was how many uncomfortable conversations are you willing to have? Um, so I would say to that question in terms of the money piece, I wouldn't focus so much on the money, focus more on what is your ability to inspire people to, hey, look, I don't might not have the money today, but hey, I can cut like, you know, X percent vesting and I can get, I can get into that, that whole idea about what vesting is. To say it real quick is like, you're, your company's 100%, you want to hire somebody and bring them on board that's fantastic or whatever, and or you have them on board already, they've proven they're, they're amazing, they're valuable, all the things. Um, and now you want to talk about equity. Vesting is, is, is the next word you need to learn. Vesting is how do I ensure someone stays here to fruition for whatever it is trying to do? The average uh, vesting term is four years. So the, the idea here is that if you have a team member, you don't outright say, hey, you get 20% of the company is you get 20% vesting over four years. So that means every year you accrue another 5% in the company, right? And that's how it, it, how it goes. Usually the first year is a cliff, meaning that there's nothing accrued over that first year in totality. Anything beyond that, then it usually is like either monthly increments, quarterly increments, or annual increments, depending on what you negotiate with them. But that's how you approach like the equity idea. Like, is it worth giving up some of the ownership of my company because this person's pretty fucking awesome and I want to grow with them as this business grows? Um, you know, vesting is very important because God forbid they leave after year two, they leave with half the equity you had committed versus the entire amount. And when it comes to advisors, you know, th that that stuff you can negotiate, but usually I'd say 0.5 to 2% is usually the range there. If, unless they're like some super godsend and if like I'm in real estate, they're like, yo, I got all, I got the Rolodex for everybody. Like let's, 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 let's move on real estate. That's still different. Maybe you, maybe it's 4%. I don't know, but usually it's 0.5 to 2%. Again, vesting over a certain amount of time, two to four years. Um, and I would say for people out there that are like looking for lawyers early, um, this isn't true for every legal counsel. This isn't true for every accountant, but in another way, remember, your whole process as an entrepreneur is to figure out leverage and to figure out what do you have at your disposal to make things move. It's not always money. Like that's just a fact. So when it comes to even bringing on counsel, you can do deals where it's like, Hey, look, I can't pay you your hourly. You're way too expensive for me. But what I can do is give you a certain percentage vesting over two years, four years, whatever the case is. And so everything you're doing is in investing into that. But if it's something absolutely new, something like let's say you, you you strike a deal with some big client and they have to really sit down and put hours to it, anything outside of the, the framework of mostly business oriented things, maybe I pay you some discount to get those things done. Those are other ways you can leverage pieces to make things move within within your organization without always having the money. So 
I'd highlight I love that. In fact, for our crowdfunding video, just to echo that point around, it doesn't always have to be money. We didn't even have money to like hire the videographer. So I, you know, I, he ended up winning in this deal, but I was like, you know, we'll give you X percentage of whatever we raise during this, you know, um, campaign for you to make this video, produce it, put it all together. I think it was like, you know, a couple percent, like two to three percent, whatever of what we raised. But let's say the video would have been, you know, like a couple thousand or whatever. It ended up, he got maybe three or four times that. And so it worked out for everybody. But really what it did was buy us the ability to do things without cash. So it may be, you know, like you incentivize people with something that could come in the future. Like if you're an e-commerce company and you're about to launch a product line, maybe it's, you know, not to get all Kevin O'Leary and royalty-ish on here, but like maybe it's, you know, like some future percentage of sales or, you know, the main takeaway here is if you don't have money at this moment, how can you be creative to get different things that you need? And also what services can you provide, right? Like, mm -hmm. can you do something in, in exchange for someone doing something else? Especially during those early days, you know, that's really awesome. Like this one woman, we needed like product photography for things. She did that in exchange for like one of our writers doing some content stuff for her blog. And so just get, you know, it's not that scalable long-term, but during the beginning, you can really barter some of those things. Absolutely. Like, I, like, look, there are mentors I have right now where they mentor me and I mentor them. And that is our exchange. So I'm not paying them some consultancy fee. They're not paying me but I meet with them weekly or bi-weekly to ensure that like, I'm gonna help them with whatever they need because I know that they have some level of invaluable information that's gonna help me. And so from that vantage point, and, and in modeling and acting, we call it trade for print. So you, you would do a shoot with a photographer who needed more stuff in their portfolio. You knew, you, and you say this, you know you need the photos on the other side of it. They needed the, the opportunity, they needed the experience. So it's TFP, trade for print. So these things are not new, these things, I've been tried and true and they work in business as well. Got to be real with all that stuff. Um, customer relationships. This is like the back, the back screen here is more technical in terms of uh, the, the, the platform I use is streak. Um, streak is a Google, a Gmail integration where, and this gets a little weird, but you can see when people open your emails. I mean, look, it's read receipts. We're all familiar with it. So it's not that new, but it's helpful because when you have that kind of insight, if someone like if someone's sharing around your your deck or whatever and you're seeing all the cities that they're opening it in you're like oh this is doing really well um i i've been i'm i'm notorious for this in my regard when someone will open an email that's old that i've even forgotten it'll i'll get a little notification so i'll click on it and it's like very pertinent stuff so i will email them in that moment like hey you know want to follow up xyz and the, the people that don't know i mean they'll be like this is so weird. Like I just opened your email. Like I was just thinking about you and I'm like, what? Like serendipity. Like, no, I have a techno technological app that's telling me this, but that works sometimes too. So. And that's why I have pixel block. So there's like one way to one up those people where you block the tools that they're using to open your email. It's yeah, it's insane, but. Web tracker. Yeah. There's things that like, will give you a little double check that tell you like, they know you're reading their email. It's like, okay, cool. Um, but it's good for customer, you know, following customers, understanding customers. 
uh, Google Analytics. Be yes, I think Google Analytics is good for customer relations because there's a lot of psychographic information within Google Analytics to understand who are you targeting. Do these people, you know, um, support certain people? Do these people like like movies? Do these people? Though that kind of psychographic information is very important because as much as we want to think we're so different, we're just we're we're not, and that's cool. Like like. It's cool that we love similar things and we watch similar things and do similar things. And I think Google Analytics can be very, very helpful in understanding your customer because if you understand the psychographic things, meaning, okay, this person is a, is a Will Smith fan, this person is a, is a Barack Obama supporter, this person, um, you know, loves um, action movies. I'm literally describing myself. If that person is true, well, you can surmise that other people that are similar to me in any capacity may touch on the same things. So from a customer engagement standpoint, you want to understand who product market fit. Who is the customer you're actually serving? What are the psychographic things they like? What are demographic things that they might be skewed towards? And how can you best serve that customer as a result? So I would say yes to the question um, that Nat Wynn posted in the in the chat here, will Google Analytics be good for customer relationships? I would say yes. Yeah. What do you use currently right now, Fatima, or, or what are some best practices you would share for customer relations? Yeah, so it's actually funny because we're just now getting into this world. Before we were um, straight to B2C, we were like college students download our app and then, you know, that's what we do. But lately we've been selling to large apartment buildings. And so it's been, you know, more of a B2B traditional software um, thing. And so we're still learning about this. I mean, like we actually have been using like Salesforce um, to kind of just like manage the CRM part of things. But in terms of the relationships, um, I actually, and this is, I, I need a tool for this. So if you want to recommend one, I would love it. But after every conversation, I, similar to you, will write down all the little things about that person that, you know, the conversation that we had. And then when I follow up, I almost always add a couple sentences at the beginning referencing like the last thing, like, oh, you know, like you mentioned you were going to do like arts and crafts with like your toddler and like you talk about that and people are so surprised that you remember. They're so surprised because people do not talk about some of the human elements and business is all about relationships and human interaction and I think sometimes we lose sight of that when it's so transactional but really bringing some of that back in into every conversation I think is really important. Awesome. So that's what we're going to do. Amanda is keeping us on pace here, everybody. So I appreciate you all waiting for us here. What I'm going to do is, I, I'm glad this is actually the end of the actual presentation. I'm going to run through these items of, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop here. What I'm going to have us do is we're going to do a rapid fire round. We have a, 13 minutes left. We have 11 questions in the Q&A. And so we're going to go through these questions. We're going to answer them as fast as possible. I'll give an answer. You give an answer. We keep it moving and we'll close it out here. Appreciate you guys all rocking with us. Um, the first question is, what are business books you, you guys would recommend? This is from earlier tonight. What would you say, uh, Fasim? Um, I really like Traction. Um, it's about 13 ways to grow your business, and it talks about all the different marketing channels you could use, and that's a mistake that a lot of people do trying to do them all. You really want to pick two to three and focus on them really well. So that's one, obviously, like the zero to one. Um, yeah, those are some ones that I'd say for the earlier phases would be really important. 
Yeah, I was going to say zero to one. So I'm glad you said that it's really fixating on the idea of like the incremental steps in business. But what I'll say is I'm reading Shoe Dog right now, the story about uh, the founder of Nike, Phil Knight. Um, and I love the interpersonal part of it. So I would say check that book out. Um, do you guys recognize this? And I'll, I'll keep going down the list here. We have Emily. Do you have suggestions for ways to generate names that might be helpful? Do you ever use a website? Fatima, you first. Um, names. I would just do like a one hour, like sit down session with yourself, write out every name that pops up, get inspiration from websites, put together a type form, which is just like a tool to like send out to people or like Google survey, put like 10 to 15 names on it, send it out to people, pick like the winning one um, and go from there. But like, just sit down and just put all these ideas that come to mind. I, I agree. Um, you know, my process was, was a little more personal for me. Like I, I wrote down um, some names. This is Trooper Untapped, my first business and now Who's Your Landlord. Wrote down some names, whatever one fit with me most likely or I, I like the most I ran with. Um, but I would say do a Google search too because you can run into situations where other people have that name already. So definitely do that. And, and uh, you can do it yourself, but also a lawyer can see what's trademarked already out there. Also one quick note, is that you can just develop like kind of a natural trademark, which means if you use a product, a, a, like a logo or a name enough, even if someone uses it, you could say you have domain over that name because yeah. you've used it for a year, two years, five years. So remember like, yes, it's important to get that trademark done, but also if you use it fervently and people know you buy it, you can argue that you had a kind of a natural trademark on that name and still that will work in U.S. courts. Yep, and um, trademarks are really, a lot of people actually don't realize this. Like, you can start like a Papa John's hair salon. Like, just because someone has a name doesn't mean you can't use it. It has to be a name for the type of thing that you're doing. Exactly. So keep that in mind. Yeah, there's, there's derivatives of that and iterations you can do. Um, Harley, did you hire a market research company for market validation or what are resources for that? We did not hire someone for that. Um, at the very beginning, before I even started asking investors for money, I asked some folks like, what would you need to see at this stage for you to invest? Or like, what would you know need to be true for you to invest? This is from the perspective of needing to raise capital. If you're not in the business of needing to, to raise venture capital, then I would say market validation. I would look at other people in your industry and look at how they perform during their first like three to six months and then base some of your goals around that. Like try to find one company where you can find their early days story. Exactly. Um, regarding market research, anecdotal evidence is still evidence is still data. Um, you know, try different, try different words, put things out there, see what, what people respond to. Um, and you know, Family and friends, meaning your mama is not always the best person to try things on. She's probably going to say yes because she loves you. Like you, you legitimately ask strangers. Our review process, that, that seven categories that we review landlords on, came from us interviewing 100 residents and 50 landlords. What do they keep saying over and over and over again? And then we boiled that down into questions. Mm -hmm. so I, I would say Uber drivers too. Like, hey, there's this new company that does X. I don't say that it's you doing it. Tell other people like, oh, this company's doing X and see what they say. See what they say. Um, from Nat Wynn, besides MailChimp and Envato, are there other important tools to utilize for external communications? 
Um, I like Streak. That's what I use personally. It, it, it gives me enough insight where the person was when they opened my email. How many times has it been viewed? This has been very important. We were, so I've experienced a lot of things. We've been sued by a landlord before and the circuit, you know, district court judge actually in Philadelphia threw it out because it was ridiculous. Um, but also too, I, I bring that up because we had posted out content before that was stolen um, by, funny enough, the, um, the public school system of Philadelphia that was posting our information around housing and around um, some of the community stuff we had created. So they, that went viral through them and I had to hunt them down to be like, yo, that was our content. Um, and, you know, I was able to see that their, their, you know, uh, their, their head of, uh, I'm forgetting the name right now, but whatever. Um, they had opened the email like over a hundred times. They were obviously passing it around trying to figure out what do we do? Um, and then we ended up coming to a resolution. So from that point, just saying that as a heads up, um, and then, uh, answer on that, uh, Fatima yep. in terms of, um, oh, I think for sure. Hootsuite I like, and, um, Planoly I like, and what Hootsuite and Planoly do is you can upload all your like, like different social media posts and then it'll like automate automatically post it each day. And so you could just spend one weekend funneling like the next month of like, you know, posting out and then you don't have to do it every single day. So you can automate it through Hootsuite or Planoly. Awesome. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll pass it off back and forth now as we go. Um, let me see who we have. We have Jafir here. Um, who are some of your business mentors or people y'all model your work after? Um, I will throw that to you, Fatima, and I'll pick up the next mm. one. Um, I really like, you know, I look at folks like, like talk to, like my inspirations are like Strive Masiwa, who's a billionaire. Um, in Zimbabwe, um, Jack Ma, you know, Alibaba didn't even know how to use a computer, right? He was an English teacher, built Alibaba. Um, so just folks who have done well along the way and are, you know, yeah, those are the folks that come to mind. <laughs> yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Uh, I'll take the next one. Harley, have you guys hired software engineers and or designers off Upwork? Um, if so, how do you evaluate them versus cost effectiveness? Um, I read reviews. My, my whole business is based on reviews. If their reviews stink, I assume so do they. And, and I move on to the next one. So what I would say is what also Upwork does too, just to be serious, is that they, they will highlight rising stars. So people that are getting constantly good reviews and doing good work. And they'll highlight like rock stars, people who have just been tried and true. So I look at that, that little green star in the corner. That's how I determine who I hire a lot of times. So I would say that too. Um, Awesome. This is I'm throwing this to you, Fatima. Uh, also from Harley. Um, what is a ballpark cost for a developer to start for a startup business? Hmm. I mean, being from the Bay, that's a very different answer. Um, but yeah, like I would say, you know, developers are not cheap. Um, you're looking at north of a hundred thousand a lot of times. The way that we have, you know, circumvent that. We worked with a company called Andela. Um, where you can hire developers from um, Africa. So like all Probably different- Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, like all our developers- He's the founder, yeah, nah, good Yes, stuff. yes, we love Andela. I mean, Andela has been phenomenal. And um, yeah, because of the conversion rates and things like that, you're getting like top, top talent um, for like a, a quarter of the cost. And it translates to like the same value for them in a lot of ways. So yeah, I love Andela. Dope, dope. Um, big fan of them as well. 
Uh, and they raise a lot of money too, good for them. Um, from Nita, why become a software engineer when there are sites like WordPress, Squarespace, GoDaddy? I ask because I'm totally interested in building websites as a freelancer and apps for my own creative projects. Um, so when, when, once you start delving into things that need to be more customizable, there, there's always still a need for software engineers. Um, I use Canva.com a lot for like a lot of our like decks and stuff. Um, and Karen, who's on our team, she's our lead, lead designer, our creative director, like she'll take it and they'd be like, nah, I'll, I'll take it from here. And then makes it look like magic, right? So like you, you, you can get but so far with a lot of the limitations of these platforms. And then it's up to the, the real people who are really about doing it that have the acumen, that had the skill set, that have been learning about this for years that really take it to the next level. Um, so I think that's all we have in the Q&A. I will close out. I wanna keep us still on track here. I know we got about a minute and a half, so I'm really fast. First, Fatima, thank you so much for joining us. You are a rock star and your answers show that and prove it all the time. So thank you so much. Um, where can people find you online? Thank you Ofo, for inviting me. This was awesome. Um, two ways. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Fatima Dico, and then also on Twitter, Fatima Dico underscore. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you can find me at um, chief underscore Ofo on Instagram and Twitter and Ofo Izugu, E-Z-E-U-G-W-U on Facebook. Um, and uh, you can find us at W-Y-L community. Um, and last but not least, a couple of the screens you're looking at we're hiring a full stack engineer, so apply, <laughs> send us an email. Um, you can review your landlord at wyl.cl. Stay tuned for our app coming soon. And also subscribe to this podcast, as Amanda said earlier. In order to like see this, post this, you have to subscribe to the podcast. We definitely do that. Do Next that. week, we're talking about building a remote team with Sona Verma, CEO of Amrev Media. Again, for Amanda, for Fatima, my name is Ofo Izugu, CEO of Who's Your Landlord and host of the WYL Take Ownership Podcast. Where we're always about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. I love you guys. Peace.